It's only one question, don't worry. You're like, oh no, I don't know, I hate history. No, uh, so my question is this. Do you know what happened on the date of November 9th, 1989? November 9th, 1989, anybody? Hey, 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 of course, the teacher. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the teacher knows the answer. <laughs> Good job, Amy. Um, yes, so the world was shocked and surprised by what took place on the night of November 9, 1989, as crowds of Germans began to dismantle the Berlin Wall. And so that wall stood for nearly 30 years and had symbolized the division, the Cold, world division, Cold War division of Europe. And so when that wall came down, it meant a lot to a lot of people. There was people that were celebrating. There was people that were crying. Uh, it was an opportunity. It presented an opportunity for healing, for some restoration, for unity to take place. Which in, in history, when walls come down, traditionally, when you're talking about a wall coming down, it typically means conquest, right? You knock down the wall, so you go in and you take over the city, right? But the purpose of this wall coming down was for peace, and the, we, we have a propensity as human beings to build walls in our lives. And a lot of times it's for our protection. And that could be, for instance, building walls within our hearts. Maybe we were hurt by someone at some point, And so we started to build walls in our hearts to keep ourselves from being hurt yet again. Or maybe we build walls in our minds uh, but from certain people separating ourselves from certain people in our lives. Um, or certain types of people maybe that have hurt us in the past. Or something that we learned about someone. And so we, we build walls that separate. And listen, there's a time for healthy boundaries. Absolutely. But there's when we take it on ourselves to protect ourselves rather than trusting God to guard our hearts, then what we do is we build walls of division instead of creating healthy boundaries. And so the enemy loves that though. The devil loves it. It's one of the ploys of the enemy. He wants to bring division. If he can divide, then he can divide and conquer, right? He wants us divided because if we're fighting amongst ourselves as believers or we're fighting amongst ourselves as family members or spouses, you, amen, right? If we're fighting amongst ourselves and we're consumed with uh, animosity and enmity towards the people in our life and we're making people our enemy, then we'll pay no attention to the roaring lion who is seeking whom he may devour in our backyard. And so he wants us to be divided because Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Right. But Jesus, the prince of peace, came to destroy walls of separation 
and unite his people. This is what Jesus came to do was to destroy barriers that have brought division within the body of Christ and within our world. And he wants to bring peace. He wants to break down walls, not for conquest, but for peace. And in order to fulfill his ultimate purpose and his ultimate goal, which is us all coming together as one. So we're going to look at that today. The title of my message is Peace with Power. Peace with Power. Power. So we're continuing in our series, Position and Practice. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And so today is, I think, week five. So we've gone through four weeks and we've just gotten through chapter one. Woohoo! We're doing it, guys. And so Pastor John did a great job last week diving into chapter two, verses one through 13. And he was talking about our position as sons and daughters of God, that God has, has created a huge change in our life, a transition where we were literally children of wrath, the Bible says, pursuing our passions and lusts of the flesh. And then God adopted us into his family. And now we are sons and daughters of the most high God, but not just sons and daughters. The Bible says that He's seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. We did nothing to deserve this. Not only does he adopt us into his family, not only does he redeem us and cleanse us and wash us of all of our sin and make us a new creation in Christ, he seats us with Christ in heavenly places by his grace. And if that wasn't enough, then it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God will literally point to us as an example of, of the glorious riches of his grace in the ages to come. Wow. God is going to point to you and I and say, this, what I have done in them, the transformative work I've done in my children, is a picture of the glorious riches of my grace. And that's our position that we have in Christ. So we are seated with Christ in heavenly places in a position of honor and authority that we did not deserve but that God's given us because of Jesus. And so now grace has set us up for what's next. In Ephesians chapter 2, I believe we're going to go through verses 14 through 19 today. And it paints a picture of part of Jesus' end game for saving the world. And that is peace. Now, a lot of people talk about peace. A lot of people say that they want peace, but peace only comes through Jesus Christ. And the way it comes into our world is then through his church. We exemplify it and we help bring peace to this world by the grace of God. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 14, we'll start in verse 14. It says, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups, talking about Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. His purpose was to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This was his purpose. And we see this throughout the book of Ephesians. Paul talks about it over and over. We see it in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. He's talking about this great mystery that, is, that has been God's plan from the beginning of time. 
And God's big plan, his big idea is to bring us all together as one body under Christ who is the head. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. It says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So at the end of days, at the end of time, when God brings everything to its fulfillment, this is his goal, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 22 of Ephesians 1, God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. The church, us, the body of Christ, describes it as we are the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. And what an honor. What have we done to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing is the answer. We put our faith in Jesus. And then he's brought us into that position. So one family, one body, one church, this united nation, this group that God wants to bring together under Jesus. This is his big idea, the big picture for the end of time, the new Jerusalem, where all of God's people are united together and Jesus is there. God's presence is right in the center of that city where it doesn't need a sun to shine because Jesus himself is the light. This is what he wants. He wants us all united together under Christ, who is the head. But in order for that to happen, and some walls have got to come down. Jesus came to break down some walls that separate us in our life. Uh, Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So there's walls that need to come down. So today I want to talk about three different walls that need to come down in our life, that Jesus has actually destroyed these. By the cross of Jesus, he's broken down these walls, but we can have a tendency to rebuild them in our life. And so these are walls that we need to keep destroyed and broken down in our lives by the grace of God. Number one is the wall of self-righteousness. The wall of self-righteousness. Us and the sinners, us and those who are not meeting the mark, right? That wall that separates those two. Uh, in Jesus' day, uh, it was the Jews and the Gentiles. There was hostility, literal hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Because, I mean, think about it. The, the Gentiles were their oppressors, right? The Roman oppressors. Naturally, there's some hostility there when someone invades your country and takes over and oppresses you. Absolutely, there's some hostility, right? And so there was hostility between Jew and Gentile, but even to the point where it was a literal wall that they built, not just spiritually, but, but physically in Jerusalem between the temple proper and the court of the Gentiles, there was a stone wall on which there was an inscription in Greek and Latin, and it said this, no one of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. Okay, very serious, 
right? You come across here, you dead, okay? So there was a lot of hostility there, naturally. But the Gentiles were viewed as unclean, which according to the law, they were unclean. And there was hostility there, but that grew among the Jewish people to the, to the point where there were groups within the Jewish community, like the Pharisees, who began to oppress their own people and began to press people down and lift themselves up in their own self-righteousness, saying, no, no, you, no, I am adhering to the law. You are not at my level. You're down here. I'm up here. And how many of you guys know when people put someone down, it's typically to raise themselves up, right? And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day were pushing the people down in order to lift themselves up. And Jesus was having none of that. He was not okay. In fact, the Pharisees, more than any other group, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, the teachers of the law at that time, were the recipients of Jesus' rebukes. I mean, just rebuking them in front of crowds of people to let people know, this is not the way. This is not my way. And he would even call them hypocrites, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, pretty on the outside and full of dead men's bones on the inside. And brutal. He called them blind leaders of the blind. But Jesus rebuked those who sought justification by their own works and who exalted themselves instead of humbling themselves. He didn't mince words. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So this is the whole spectrum, right? Pharisees were like the righteous of the righteous and the tax collectors were supposed to be the worst of sinners. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. You can just hear it. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. You know, you kind of have that British, you know, haughty accent. I don't know. Or even this, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, God, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So how did Jesus remove this barrier of self-righteousness that had permeated his people? He leveled the playing field. He leveled the playing field. By saying things like this, Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Which that was a big thing to say. Because back then, like I said, they were the ones who had the most strict adherence to the law. And he says, no, your righteousness has to surpass their righteousness, even beyond them, in order to be in the kingdom of God. 
Like none of you are meeting the mark. Just want to let you guys know. And then he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. So he kept raising the standard. You've heard it said, don't kill someone. I say, you don't even say, you fool. You're in danger of hellfire. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look with lust. And so he keeps on raising the bar, raising the bar. He's trying to let them all know, hey, guess what? None of you are meeting the mark. And you're not going to be able to. That the righteousness you have has to surpass even the most righteous people. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is letting everybody know, you are all in need of a savior. You all need me, my mercy, and my grace to save you. No matter how self-righteous you may be, no matter what you're doing, you cannot justify yourselves by your works. It's not enough. You can't meet the mark. The Bible literally says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. And I don't want to tell you what kind of rags those are. If you already know, it's gross, okay? Filthy rags before God. So he levels the playing field. And then he goes on to say right after that, don't judge. For with the measure that you give, it will be measured back to you. Saying you're no different. Talking to the Pharisees, you're no different from them. You all need my grace. And there's nothing you can boast in. Ephesians 2.8, right? We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing that we can take pride in. It is the grace of God that has saved us. We have to remember that if we keep measuring ourselves like the Pharisees did, I tithe twice a week, I fast, I do this, I do, and they kept a list of all the things that they're doing right, and they're measuring themselves up. Yep, I measure up, I measure up, I measure up to my standard, I measure up. If we keep measuring ourselves, then eventually we're going to start measuring other people. You don't measure up. No, you don't measure up. And, and it's not something that we're choosing intentionally. I, I'm guilty of it just as much as anyone else. I'm not, not trying to measure someone, but it, it makes me feel a little bit better if I can compare myself to someone and I, I feel like I'm doing better. And so we have, that, we have to guard against that tendency. If we keep record of our triumphs, then we'll also keep record of others' failures. If we say, okay, here's all the things that I've done, then what we're going to start to do is we're going to start to notice where other people fall short because we're keeping records for ourselves and for others. And so we rebuild this wall of self-righteousness by keeping records for ourselves and for others. And this is what I mean by for others, okay? You guys know about the list, right? You got the list, especially those of you who are married, you got the list, okay, right? And you bring up the list, things get a little rough. Someone doesn't meet the mark, who's like, you always do this. Let me pull up my list. Let me check here. Okay, yes, uh, two days ago, you said this, you know, and we, we bring up a list and we, we list out all the things that people have done wrong in our life. And it's just something that we do sometimes. It's not, we, we don't even intentionally do it. We just kind of keep this record so that when we need to, you know, we can show them, hey, 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 
you know, I, I know this, you've been doing this regularly. Okay, this isn't a one-time thing. Let me show you the list. I got it right here. Okay, see, there it is. We have this list. But the Bible says when we love people, we erase all resentments. We don't keep an account of wrongs done to us. That that's part of love. But when we measure, when we're measuring, we rebuild unintentionally. We rebuild a wall of self-righteousness. Jesus wants that to be down. We need to trust God that he's at work in someone's life and he's at work in our own. Amen? So that's wall number one, the wall of self-righteousness. Wall number two is the wall of sin. Jesus came to destroy the wall that separates us and God so that we can be restored and reconciled in relationship to him. Ephesians 2, 16 says, and in one body... Jews and Gentiles, he wants to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. We were once enemies of God, the Bible says, but now we're his children. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Romans 5, 1 and 2, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, there it is again, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the hope, the eager expectation we have of the glory of God in our lives. Christ in us is the hope of glory, his richness and weightiness and transcendence in our life, his presence and the fullness thereof in our life. We have that hope through faith and by grace. There's nothing we can boast in. And God is for us. You're not an enemy of God any longer. You're at peace with God. That is so encouraging because I can't tell you how many times I still, in my mind, I mean, this morning, I thought it this morning, I was like, God, I'm so sorry, man. I just, you know, this weekend, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time, you know, with you, God. You know, I'm so sorry. Such a failure. <laughs> and he's just, son, you're here, you're with me. I love you. There's something in us that we, we just want to perform a little bit. Just We want to do good to, to, to do well and please our Father. He is for you. He's not against you. God is for you. He is not against you. Can you say that? Say, God is for me. Not against me. Let's say it again. God is for me. Not against me. See, we rebuild the wall of sin in our life when we refuse to forgive ourselves for something that God has already forgiven us. When we refuse to forgive ourselves. Christ has forgiven you. He's cleansed you. He's made you clean. So you have to let yourself be loved. He's eager to love and to pour out his love on you as his kids, but we have to let ourselves be loved. And all it takes is just, thank you, God. Just turning our attention, just thanking him for his love. As hard as that can be sometimes, because we feel like we've missed 
the mark, letting ourselves be loved. And then wall number three, so that's wall number two. Wall number three is the wall of prejudice. The wall of prejudice. Us and them. Us and them. Ephesians 2, 16 and 17. By which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Now, this word hostility means war, enmity, hatred toward one another. Christ came not only to remove barriers between Jew and Gentile, but between all men, especially hostility within the body of Christ. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule, meaning the peace is in charge. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. So a wall that we have to be careful. Again, all of this happens. It's, it's typically not a conscious effort. It's something that it's unintentional, but it happens over time if we're not careful. We can build a wall of right church, wrong church. Right? Right church. Of course, we're right church. Of course. <laughs> you know, but... Right church, wrong church. And we build a wall of separation between the two. And we can use Jesus, who himself is our peace, as the wall that separates us from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, that is dangerous. So we have to be careful whether or not we're, we're judging we have to be careful that we don't build a wall with other, against other believers, separating other believers because they have varying views, maybe on interpretive issues or deductive issues or traditional things. Jesus had a similar uh, conflict in his time with the Jews and the Samaritans. So both Jews and Samaritans sought the God of Jacob, right? They worshiped the God of Jacob. But the Samaritans were kind of viewed as kind of like the half-breeds. Okay? They kind of intermarried. They weren't pure bloods. Right? If any of you guys are Harry Potter fans. But um, you don't have to say or raise your hand. But Samaritans and the Jews, there was issues. There was conflict. There was hostility. But then you see in John 4, Jesus, right, talking with a Samaritan woman. Now, during this conversation, the Samaritan woman's like, hey, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, we're not supposed to be talking, bro. But Jesus is like, you don't even know who you're talking to. <laughs> I'm here to bring life to everyone, right? But he's talking to this Samaritan woman. Let's pick up the story in verse 19. She says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet, which this is a great story. If, if you haven't read it, read it. I don't have time to go into it. But our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So there it is. He's saying, the Samaritans, you know, we worship on the mountain, but you guys say we have to worship in Jerusalem. So there's this conflict. Look at Jesus' reply. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He's like, you're both wrong. All right? It's not about where you worship. And he goes on, he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
Like it's about the heart. You're missing the point. Neither one of you are right. It's about the heart. Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? We can rebuild the wall of prejudice when we major on minors and refuse to listen. When we major on minors and refuse to listen. We have to major on the majors, minor on the minors, and make the big deal what the big deal is. And that's Jesus. It's loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself. It's being saved by grace through faith. It is knowing Jesus is the cross of Christ. It's being adopted into God's family. That we are all sons and daughters of the same heavenly father. This is what it's about. This is the main thing. Let's make the main thing the main thing. Let's unite around the absolutes. The fact that we're in the same family. That we both come to and cling to the cross of Jesus. That we both run to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Let's let that be what unites us. And then let love lead in our differences. Let love lead in our differences. So if someone has a varying view on an interpretive matter in scripture or something in the word and, and it's, it's different than you, well, let's listen Let's love first, right? And this is what that means. Listen to understand. I'm not saying listen to respond and make your case. No, listen to understand. Understand so that you can empathize. So you can feel what they're feeling. Understand where they're coming from. Put yourself in their shoes. Listen to understand. Understand so that you can empathize. Empathize so you can share each other's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love. We can bear each other's burdens. Maybe there's something that someone is carrying. And listen, they could be wrong about it. But if we take time to listen and understand and then empathize, then we can share that burden with them and we can help them and walk with them through something instead of judging them for it. And we can fulfill the law of Christ. So we let love lead in our differences, and then allow the differences to strengthen us rather than divide us. We can learn from each other a little bit. Amen? We can learn from each other because we've lived our life. We only have our own experiences, our own perception. It's what we've experienced in our life, and other people have had different experiences. We can't We haven't lived their life, so we don't know. And so it's important for us to connect, to love, let love lead in our differences. Unite around the absolutes and let love lead in our differences and just see what God can do. So we want that wall to come down. The other wall of prejudice that we can build is the, again, and there's always some truth to these. There's always a little bit of truth there is some healthy boundaries, right? But it's the holy Christian evil world. Holy Christian evil world wall. Okay, now, we we can say, yeah, absolutely, because we're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? We want to separate ourselves from evildoers and evil action. Yes, yes, 
We don't want to follow their example. That's clear in scripture. We don't want to sin clearly. We know that bad company corrupts good morals. That's in scripture as well. Yes, yes, yes. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful that in our zeal for holiness, that we don't build a wall that separates us from the people that Christ is calling us to reach. We, we're here, to, just like Jesus, to seek and save those who are lost. We have to be careful in our zeal for holiness. Listen, it's okay to hate sin. Yes, absolutely, we should hate sin. Not good. God does not like it. We don't like it. Awesome, we're in agreement. Yes, but we love people. We hate sin, but we love the sinner, right? Because our enemy is not what? Flesh and blood. We don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness. That's who we war against, not people. People we love. Hate the sin, we love the sinner. Jesus was in the world, but he was not of the world. Look at Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, and he goes on to tell them about the lost sheep, and he talks about the lost coin, and he talks about the prodigal son, right? And they said, this is how they describe Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this is Jesus they're describing. Jesus was surrounded by those who didn't know Christ. Now, he maintained his integrity, right? But he didn't separate himself from the people that needed him. So we have to be careful not to do the same thing. We rebuild the wall when our zeal for holiness keeps us from reaching the ones Jesus has called us to reach. The kindness of the Lord is what leads people to repentance. That's what the word of God says. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Jesus always led with grace and followed with truth. He led with grace and followed with truth. Both are important. But look at the woman caught in adultery. What does he say? He says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Grace, go and sin no more. Truth. Grace and truth. He led with grace. He followed with truth. That's why I said this. Sharing the good news, being a witness for Christ is for, for us, it is to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus through personal relationships and practical expressions of Jesus's love personal relationship. I want to get to know people who don't know Jesus. I, I want to know them, develop a relationship. Doesn't mean they're going to be my best friend, but I'm not avoiding them. I'm connecting with them, developing relationship, and then in relationship, pointing them to Jesus. Amen? So all of this the wall of self righteousness, sin, prejudice, when Jesus came to destroy all these so that we might have peace. Well, what is peace? Jesus <laughs> says Christ himself is our peace. It's the presence of Jesus. 
Man, what better description of peace than the presence of Jesus? His presence in our lives. And look at Ephesians 2.18. It closes with this. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We can all come to the throne of grace. We can all identify as children of God, those of us who know Christ. And the Holy Spirit identifies with us that we are his. The Bible says we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So as one, we can run to the throne of grace. As one, we can identify as children of God and of the same family. As one, we can cling to the cross of Jesus. And the cross is the olive branch. It's the cross. So when we're clinging to it, For peace, we're clinging to Jesus. We find all sorts of other people clinging to that same cross so that they might know God. And they're different from different places, have different opinions about different things, but we're all equal at the foot of the cross and we're all clinging to the same Savior. And see, when we do that and we break down these walls that separate, then we are able to see Jesus' dream come to fruition we would all be united together as one under Christ, who is the head. Amen? And so let's be intentional in our lives, in our relationships, to guard ourselves against rebuilding walls that Christ himself has torn down. So I'm going to close with this. So um, worship team, you guys can come up. If you guys want to just actually, let's just stand, stand with me. We're going to close in worship. Um, This is what I want us to do. Just right where you are, let's just close our eyes and give our attention to Jesus. And the most important thing that we need to ask ourselves is, or not ask ourselves, but ask the Lord is, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me? Holy Spirit, What are you speaking to me? Maybe there's some walls that have been built in your own life that you you know need to come down to restore relationships. Maybe there's been division in your family, in your workplace, in different places in your life, and those walls need to come down. Jesus, Lord, we surrender our hearts to you, Lord, in this moment, God. Lord, we want to exemplify you. We want to represent Jesus in this world, and we want to be people of peace. As much as we can, we want to live peaceably with all men, as your word says. Father, give us the grace not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, Lord, I pray if there's any walls that have been built in our hearts, Lord Jesus, that you will just, by your grace, tear those down and restore us in relationship. It's what you came to do. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, Neil, I don't even, I don't even know if I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't even know if I know him personally. Like I've heard about him, maybe you've grown up in church, 
Or maybe you followed after God for a while, but you, you haven't been pursuing him or seeking him out recently. And you say, man, I'm, I want to come back to Jesus. I want that wall that's been separ- that separated me and God. I want to be reconciled. I want to know him personally, this amazing heavenly father. I want to know him in relationship. If you're here and you don't know Christ or you want to come back to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So if everyone just keeps your head bowed, keep your eyes closed. But if you're here and you say, man, I, it's time. I want to come home. I want to come back to Jesus. Then right where you are, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to raise up your hand and then put it right back down. If you're saying, I want to come back to Jesus and I want to be reconciled with my Father. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. This is what we're going to do. I just want you all, all of us, just to repeat this prayer. Listen, we're just going to make a decision. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're gonna pray a prayer of confession to the Lord. So if everyone, if you would all just repeat after me, just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for your grace. I choose to repent, to leave behind my old life and to follow you. Will you forgive me? Cleanse me? Make me new. I want to come back to you. I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, let's respond in worship. We surrender to you, Lord, we thank you, God, that you are a God of peace. And Lord, we thank you that you've joined us together here, Lord, as your family. What an incredible family we have here at this church, Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, give us grace to love each other well and to be united together as one body under Christ who is the head, loving you and loving others. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Listen, if you did make that decision for the first time and you accepted Christ, we would love to talk with you. So please come find me. Uh, I would love to chat with you after service. Love you guys. Next week, we're going to continue to move forward in Ephesians. And uh, don't forget, neighborhood parties. uh, Sign up for those at the table in the foyer uh, if you want to give or if you want to serve. And then also, if you are a current volunteer or leader in kids, there's a meeting for all of you after service in the main kids area. Or if you're interested in serving in kids, then we'd love to have you back there as well. Does that sound good? All right, guys. Love you. See you next week.